this building has been a liability for years now, and we've been worried about something like this happening. Fire in an old Victoria hotel. How residents and neighbors scrambled to safety. Fears of a bad fire season. We're expecting it to come, and we're ramping up. Why this business is so busy weeks before the choking smoke arrives. And the movement to remove a monument. I think there's some level of justice for the six chiefs that were hanged. New West wrestles with the controversial history of Judge Matthew Begbie. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A blanket of smoke covered the downtown core in our capital today. Fire consumed the old Victoria Plaza Hotel. It broke out early this morning and burned for hours. Kylie Stanton has more on how quickly this fire spread and the history that was lost. Attacking from every angle, dousing this building with 15,000 liters of water a minute. But the flames keep coming. This is a significant fire for sure. The fire broke out here at the historic Victoria Plaza Hotel just after 5 o'clock in the morning. The alarm went off at 527. Neighboring buildings were quickly evacuated. No glasses, no shoes, but got the cell phone. <laughs> we just grabbed whatever we could fit in our hands. At the same time, firefighters worked to contain the blaze, launching aerial trucks, three engines and a drone. Blocks of the downtown core under heavy smoke were shut down while crews inspected what they could inside. Heavy smoke conditions on all floors, uh, smoke showing through all windows of the building, uh, but the first actual fire conditions were in the basement. The hotel and its infamous strip club, Monty's, permanently closed in 2013. It's been the subject of redevelopment plans ever since. But in the meantime, there are reports people are taking up residence inside. There seem to be a lot of lights on and a lot of people going in and out, so I'm not really surprised at all because it's, it's just obviously hazardous. No injuries have been reported, but the building's caretaker has not been accounted for. Victoria Fire is working with police to determine his whereabouts. And while the chief says it's too soon to say what caused the fire, the fact it spread so quickly means it could be suspicious. Police will be involved in the investigation going forward. It's going to be a lot based on those first-in reports, uh, witness statements and things of that nature, and we'll be working with the PD on that as well. The building itself is not stable enough to be investigated. It's virtually a shell. You can see the stucco on the building. There's already been one face fall off and now the other one's cracked and that's uh, yeah, pretty crazy to see, you know. Firefighters are hoping to plan a controlled collapse once the flames are out and the smoke clears. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. The former mayor of Burns Lake has pleaded guilty to four counts of sexual assault. Luke Strimbold had been facing 29 charges involving six teenage boys. At least 15 of the incidents are alleged to have happened while Strimbold was serving as mayor. He resigned in September of 2016. Today in B.C. Supreme Court in Smithers, Strimbold pleaded guilty to four counts of sexual assault. He'll be sentenced in September. We're learning more tonight about a small plane crash over the weekend that killed three people and sent a fourth to hospital. The crew on board was working for the B.C. Wildfire Service. Grace Key is live in our newsroom with more on the victims and what they were doing at the time. 
Grace. Well, we do know that they were contractors and they were conducting uh, infrared scans on some of last year's wildfires. So shortly after 8.30 Saturday morning, the Cessna 182 airplane crashed about 95 kilometers northeast of Smithers. It was found shortly before 11 a.m. A conscious male passenger seen outside the crash site uh, was also spotted. Now, he's being treated at a Vancouver hospital and is expected to recover. Three others were killed, including Lorne Borgold. He was CEO of Precision, Precision Vectors. He previously served as the CEOs of Hudson Bay Mount Resort and Smithers and Whistler Mountain Ski Corporation. He was also the past president of Whistler Chamber of Commerce. He was an avid skier, sailor and pilot. And Amir Saji provided data analysis for Precision Vectors. His brother describes him as a chameleon of talents, an artist, athlete, businessman. He spoke five languages and above all, he was the most genuine and generous human you could ever meet. And pilot Pete Pouchman, he worked for Lakes District Air and Fishing out of Burns Lake. The cause of the crash is still under investigation. All right, Grace Key with the update. Thank you, Grace. Growing concerns tonight, we are in for another busy wildfire season. The past two seasons have been record-breaking with smoky skies severely reducing air quality. As John Hua reports, this year some British Columbians are taking matters into their own hands to breathe a little easier. As much of the province burned last summer, the smoke billowed upwards and blotted out the sky. And British Columbians let out a collective gasp. It can be very, very dangerous. People die. That gasp for people with respiratory issues was a fight for survival. As the heavy smoke from wildfires led to lengthy air quality advisories across BC, including Metro Vancouver. That smoke, if we get the fires, comes right in the house and uh, probably end up with a lung attack and probably end up in hospital. Jan Jordan, who lives with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, could only stay at home by cleaning the air inside around the clock. Get yourself a purifier, somebody that has a house. You might even need two or three purifiers. Last year's blanket of haze led to a massive boost in last minute demand for the filter shop at BGE. The surge last year was a lot more. And right now already for this year, I'm seeing a lot more people calling, again, residentials, that are calling in now and asking them, uh, what should we do? So in Edmonton, they're covering all their bases. BGE is manufacturing a stockpile of air filtration products that will hopefully be enough to supply all of Western Canada this wildfire season. Manufacturing has already ramped up knowing what's coming. Uh, we will be stocking inventory at the uh, branches here locally uh, to be able to react right away. Still, the message is to start creating or finding clean air environments now instead of being caught up in this suffocating smoke. It is normal these days. Everybody knows the fires are going to happen. And I change this one usually once a year. Jordan hopes by learning from last year and preparing accordingly, those most at risk will be able to breathe a little easier this wildfire season. John Hua, Global News. There simply are not enough taxis or ride-hailing options for the thousands of people out late on Friday or Saturday night. So tonight, Renewed calls to extend SkyTrain hours on the weekends. Tanya Beja joins us with the details. And Tanya, this call comes from the mayor of Coquitlam, and he's got some support, too. That's right, Chris. Bar Watch is backing Mayor Stewart's call, and both they and the mayor say it's a matter of public safety. 
Heading home from a night out downtown can become an ordeal for people living in the suburbs. I've heard the anecdote, and these are horrible anecdotes. I've seen the police reports of women who made the wrong choice uh, because they accepted a ride from someone they didn't know because there was no alternative. Coquitlam's mayor calling on TransLink to run SkyTrain for an extra couple of hours on Friday and Saturday nights to make the commute home safer and more convenient. The province is dragging its feet on ride hailing and as a result the taxi the taxis just don't cut it so we're looking for ways to make uh, SkyTrain work better on the weekends perhaps. Right now, SkyTrain runs until around 1 a.m. on Fridays and Saturdays. That's two hours before some downtown bars close their doors. The association promoting public safety in bars and restaurants says longer transit hours would not only help prevent impaired driving, but also ease the burden on Vancouver police. If you had transportation options at 3.15, similar as Symphony of Fire, you would see people racing to catch their train. Therefore, the street would be essentially probably vacant at 3.15 in the morning. We know that uh, transportation options late at night in the city are very slim and we want to provide a better service. What that service is remains to be seen. But according to TransLink, the late night hours are prime time for train and track maintenance. Our system is a one-track automated system. So in order to perform the work on the track that needs to be done, we have to power it down. So you can't be running trains on the track while we're doing the maintenance. TransLink says it can't afford to lose even a second of maintenance, so the challenge to fit it in somewhere else. Tanya, is there any hope for an answer, a timeline for when TransLink might make a final decision on whether to extend the hour? studying the issue right now. They're speaking with some of their stakeholders, looking at things like cost and impact on ridership, but they say they do expect to present some ideas to the public as early as this summer. Chris and Sophie, back to you. Obviously, the trains are rolling right behind you there, Tanya. Thank you very much. Well, a little less than two hours left for voters in the riding of Nanaimo Ladysmith to make their mark and choose a new member of parliament. This by-election could be a potential indicator of what's to come in this fall's federal election. Richard Zussman is live at a polling station tonight with more on what to watch and the importance of this vote, Richard. Sophie, you're getting a real sense from those showing up here to cast their ballot that this election really matters. They voted in October for a new mayor. In the fall, in a province-wide electoral reform referendum. Then again in January to select a new MLA. On Monday, Nanaimo voting for the fourth time in less than six months. This time, a federal by-election to select Nanaimo Ladysmith's new MP. It gives us an opportunity to, you know, select our candidates. It's, it's all a wonderful system that we have in Canada. Hi. I'm running for the NDP. NDP candidate Bob Chamberlain hoping to hold on to the seat for the party, pulling out every last vote on election day. I think it's day 42 of the campaign. I've wore out my real comfortable shoes. I'm onto my second pair of comfortable shoes. I'm ready for this. The riding, the closest four-way race in the 2015 federal election. The NDP winning with just 33.2% of the vote. The Greens finishing fourth with 19.8%, the strongest fourth-place finish in the country. Thank you! Green Party candidate Paul Manley, the only one in the race on the ballot last time. Lots of support at the doors. I've talked to thousands of people. And just, you know, really feeling uh, a lot of support in this community for me. What makes the riding unique is that it was newly formed in 2015. 
merging an NDP stronghold and a conservative stronghold into one riding. Because we're so close to that fall election that whoever, you know, wins this by-election most likely has a chance of having that seat in the fall. Conservative candidate John Hurst spending the day with family. Michelle Corfield is the Liberal candidate, facing an uphill battle because of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's declining popularity. Kind of an NDP town, so we'll see if it keeps its tradition. What makes this by-election stand out is that if voters want to take a mulligan, they will get another chance to vote for an MP in just five months during October's general election. All right, voter turnout could be the difference here, Richard. How busy have polling stations been today? It's been slow and steady, Sophie. The expectation is we'll pick up here uh, after the supper hour, but so far it's been pretty slow. Nanaimo turned out in droves in the last federal election. Voter turnout around 75%. But those that I've spoken to involved with the campaigns are expecting voter turnout for this by-election to be closer to 40%. Pretty good for a by-election, but nowhere near compared to the general election four years ago. Absolutely, Richard. Uh, Richard Zussman and Sarah McDonald will be part of our live coverage tonight from Nanaimo. We will have results and analysis for you beginning at 8.30 tonight on BC One. Thanks, Richard. And now to a debate we're seeing more often in many parts of the world. What to do with statues of historic figures who were once revered, but whose actions have been revealed to be flawed. Aaron MacArthur explain, explains why the city of New Westminster is considering removing a statue of a judge and what makes the demand to remove it so controversial. In New Westminster, there is a Begbie Street, a Begbie Square. There's even a Begbie Tavern. All because of this guy, Matthew Bailey Begbie, the province's first Supreme Court justice. He stands in front of the New Westminster Courthouse. And now New West Council is debating a motion to remove the statue. Not necessarily that it's removed and buried somewhere, but it's removed, relocated in a place that isn't a place of power. Begbie, most infamously known for his role in the conviction of six chiefs after the Chilcotin War. Almost a decade before Confederation, the men were wrongfully convicted of murder and hanged. A mural depicting the Chilcotin War was covered up at the Parliament buildings, and in 2014, the BC government apologized for its role. Last year, Prime Minister Trudeau did the same. First Nations leaders saying removing the statue, part of reconciliation. It won't bring back the six chiefs. It won't bring back a lot of things. But I think, you know, the, the symbolism and the, and the meaning for the New West Mayor and Council that they are moving and recognizing Indigenous people is, is very meaningful. Some scholars have written history has been too harsh a judge of Matthew Begbie. He was known as the hanging judge. But according to some accounts, he was fairly enlightened for the time, ruling often in favor of indigenous plaintiffs and, in at least one instance, striking down what he called unfair and vague laws around the potlatch. Councillors in New West who are supporting the motion say the goal is not to erase history, just tell it more fully. So that people can understand the nuanced history and the full history of who he was. I don't think that the intention is to scrub him away in any way, shape or form, is actually to have a better understanding. Puckmeyer would like the statue removed by this summer and at least relocated while the future of Begbie Square is considered. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Final seconds of a doomed flight. The fatal mistake some passengers made later on the news hour. And the disposable coffee cup that broke the internet. How did it end up in a scene on Game of Thrones? 
Right now, though, royal baby news much of the world was waiting for. Congratulations are in order for the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Buckingham Palace proudly announced the birth of a newly born royal baby boy to the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. And while the couple has chosen to take a non-traditional path for the birth of their first child, at least one long-standing palace tradition was observed. A small framed typed announcement welcoming their son was placed on an elaborate golden easel outside of Buckingham Palace. Jennifer Palmer now with the details we're learning so far. It's a day of celebration for many worldwide in London. Landmarks were lit in blue for the newest royal. No, it's great. Um, great reason to celebrate. Absolutely. So exciting. Amazing. Best wishes to both yes. 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 We love yes. The birth of a son to their royal highnesses, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, Prince Harry and Meghan. A beaming Harry delivering the news himself. Mother and baby are doing incredibly well. Um, it's been the most amazing experience I could ever um, possibly imagine. The overdue baby boy was born early this morning, weighing in at seven pounds, three ounces. This little thing is, is, is absolutely to die for, so I'm just over the moon. The announcement also made on social media as a new modern era of royal family traditions continues to grow. The couple not revealing baby and mom soon after the delivery, like Harry's parents and brother. This couple is, is that way. They'll probably just raise their child a little differently than maybe we've seen royal children raised in the past. Harry and Meghan's relationship began and flourished in Canada. Many Vancouverites happy to see them welcoming their firstborn, offering up suggestions for names. I would say Christopher. Christopher. Yeah. Because what are you That's my name. <laughs> Who knows what it'll be, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised it's going to be a common name. And the monarchy is a great thing, I think, for Britain and the Commonwealth. So it's exciting having a new edition, definitely. Odds makers busy with baby name bets. The top choices, Arthur, Alexander, Albert and James. But whatever is chosen, the baby is seventh in line to the throne after his father. The young family is at home. Prince Harry says we will meet baby Sussex this week. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Hot on the heels of that warning about another potentially bad forest fire season, an environmental coalition is calling for drastic action on climate change. The 60-group coalition of unions, indigenous groups and environmentalists says Canada needs to adopt a Green New Deal and cut greenhouse gas emissions in half by 2030. They say last year's droughts and forest fires in B.C. and Western Canada and the recent flooding across Ottawa and Quebec are examples of a climate in crisis. Scientists have given us just 11 years to cut our emissions in half in order to avoid catastrophic impacts. We're talking about hundreds of millions of human lives. It's decision time. We can either stay on the current path and slide into catastrophe, which will cost us, frankly, a heck of a lot more, or we can come together with a far-reaching plan to avoid that catastrophe. A sobering new report from the United Nations tonight says nature is in more trouble now than at any time in human history. The report on biodiversity says more than one million species of plants and animals are on the verge of extinction. But as Linda Aylesworth reports, the UN also says it's not too late to avert disaster. 
Biodiversity is quite literally everything, from the tiniest life forms, to insects, to plants, to every living thing you can imagine. It is also the subject of a dire report by the United Nations. We're losing biodiversity. We're losing species at a historical rate. Potentially 500,000 to a million species are threatened with loss. The findings, announced in Paris, France, are based on a compilation of reports by 145 scientists around the world. There is no doubt that this is certainly the most comprehensive report ever written. There have been five mass extinctions in history, the last one 66 million years ago. But this one, the sixth mass extinction, will have the distinction of being the first caused by humans. We've lost much of our native forests, much of our native wetlands, and effectively biodiversity needs to be considered as an equally important issue as climate change. 66% of our oceans have been negatively altered by humans. Only 7% of the fish we take from it are harvested sustainably. They are among the many human-caused issues we can do something about. We already know how. There's enough instruments, international agreements, local policies, local efforts. The knowledge is there. We need to move to more bold implementation. It seems quite clear that we're not there yet, that we still do have time, but we don't have time to dither around. It's time to get started. What we would like at the end of this report is to really give uh, the world a real message of hope. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. It's crazy the way that it's looked because I never thought this could happen. That's right. There is the, the Hundreds of people in Quebec are preparing to take legal action after their homes were damaged by floodwaters. 6,000 people were forced from their Montreal suburb after a dike burst. Nearly 2,000 homes were flooded. Residents are preparing a class action lawsuit saying they believe the disaster could have been avoided. It's reported tonight that the crew of that Russian jetliner that burst into flames during an emergency landing, killing 41 of the 78 people on board, did not dump any fuel before the landing. And tonight, the actions of some of the passengers who survived are also coming under question. In Moscow, the gutted and charred remains of Aeroflot 1492 still on the runway after Sunday's horrific crash. The final terrifying moments captured on video as the plane burst into flames during an emergency landing. Another camera shows the plane first bouncing off the runway before coming back down again, possibly puncturing a fuel tank. From Russian media, the frantic scene inside the plane. 41 of 78 people died, including 22-year-old American Jeremy Brooks from New Mexico, who'd just taken a job as a fishing guide in Russia. Rescuers say the evacuation was hampered by passengers first grabbing their carry-on bags. We've seen it before during the miracle on the Hudson landing, the Asiana crash in San Francisco, and a British Airways fire in Las Vegas. The Aeroflop pilot says he declared an emergency after a lightning strike disabled the radios. Now investigators are looking at several areas. That the pilots, the dispatchers and other technical staff were underqualified, that the plane had a mechanical issue and the bad weather conditions. The plane, a Sukhoi Superjet 100, has a troubled history with four crashes or near crashes. The Superjet has not flown in the United States. It's not certified under the FAA or typical Western uh, regulatory agencies. Meanwhile, an Aeroflot flight attendant is being remembered as a hero. 
Maxim Moiseev died trying to open a door in the tail of the plane, desperate to save passengers on board. When you take your vehicle to get it serviced, you don't expect to come out with an even bigger problem. An Ontario woman says that's what happened to her after she took her car to one of the biggest names in the oil change business. Sean O'Shea has more. So I would hope that they would um, take care of it. Megan Kirkland talking about what happened a few days after she got an oil change at a Mr. Lube location last month. I was on the highway, I started getting cool air instead of hot air because it was kind of a chilly day and I was kind of like, this is a little bit weird. Her low mileage 2000 Mazda protege revved up, then suddenly lost power. I immediately pulled over and as soon as I pulled over to the side of the road, the engine just died and I wasn't able to restart it. The car was towed to her home. Her father opened the hood and discovered something unexpected. The rad cap was just kind of sitting on top of the radiator and that there was no coolant um, in the overflow. She says originally Mr. Lube accepted responsibility for what ended up being a broken head gasket. The store manager was like, yep, yeah, this is completely our fault. Like, don't worry about it. We'll deal with it. But that perspective soon changed when Mr. Lube's corporate managers got involved. At first, they blamed the engine failure on a broken timing belt, but mechanics at a dealership said that wasn't true. She had her belt changed four years earlier, and like the whole car, she says, everything had been well maintained. Part of the Mr. Lube inspection involves opening up the radiator cap and checking for fluid. If it's not retightened, fluid will escape, and an engine will overheat and be damaged. Mr. Lube refuses to pay any compensation and told Global News in a statement, her car likely had a pre-existing issue, saying the coolant level was low when it came in. The company said video shows a double check on the vehicle was performed correctly, that the radiator cap is in place at the end of servicing. She'd driven about 900 kilometers between the servicing and the engine failure, but that cap was loose, she says, when they opened up the hood. She says she's certain Mr. Lube technicians made a mistake, and now she's going to have to pay an expensive price if she wants the car repaired. It could potentially cost between $4,000 to $5,700. So it's not a cheap fix. <laughs> Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. In Health Matters tonight, UBC researchers are reporting a major breakthrough in the treatment of Huntington disease. In a study published today in the New England Journal of Medicine, the UBC scientists say a new drug for Huntington safely lowers levels of the abnormal protein that causes the debilitating disease. Huntington is a devastating genetic neurological disease that causes abnormal involuntary movements, psychiatric symptoms, and dementia, and to date, no effective treatments have been proven to slow down progression of it. So the biggest implication of this study is, 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 is its hope. Um, we don't yet know whether or not this therapy is effective at altering the progression of the disease or stopping its progression, but this is the best option we've yet seen. This is the closest we've got yet. Well, the daytime Emmys honored Jeopardy host Alex Trebek with a standing ovation. I was concerned that sympathy might play a big role in the voting this year. Let me finish. In what was likely the most emotional win of the night, Trebek received an Emmy for most outstanding game show host. The Canadian-born TV icon revealed in March he's battling advanced pancreatic cancer. Now, last year, the 78-year-old was passed over for an Emmy after undergoing surgery for life-threatening blood clots.
the Game of Thrones production mistake that has fans laughing and churning out memes coming up after the forecast. It almost seemed like the Game of Thrones guy was laughing at Trebek, but that's not the way that went no. down. That's not the way that went down at we'll all. We'll show you, we'll show you. We'll show you when we come back. All right, right now, though, let's check in with Christy and uh, get another look at this forecast that mm -hmm. came in just as advertised. Beautiful sunshine and blue sky. Yeah, great weekend and another beautiful day out there today. What a way to start off our work week. A little bit of high-level cloud, but otherwise blue sky. Here's a look at your temperatures. So near the water, 17 degrees, a little bit, uh, 2 degrees above seasonal. Inland regions, the hottest in uh, Cultus Lake at 23 degrees. But the hot spot across Canada today was Lytton at 25.9 degrees, and we saw mid-20s right across the interior regions. And you will again tomorrow. Right now, the ridge is sitting offshore, and that's why areas near the water are about 17 degrees. We're still seeing a bit of a breeze, but as this shifts inland, that's when we really start to heat up along coastal regions and we start to dry out. So wait till you see the numbers coming up later in the week, uh, upper 20s for some areas, and I'll show you which. But it is tinder dry out there. That area with high uh, fire danger rating is now growing, and I wanted to show you this. Current fire bans category two in the northwestern part of the province, category three already in uh, the Caribou region. And on Wednesday, the category two area is going to include the entire northern BC. So anywhere from Quinell North will be under category two. What does that mean? Well, there's no campfire bans in place just yet. A category three is the highest. So anything larger than two meters high and three meters wide. So that's a really large fire. And that's in the Caribou region. A category two is anywhere between uh, 0.5 of a meter and two meters high and then up to three meters wide. So that's a little bit larger than an actual campfire and that's all across northern BC. But yes, no campfire bans in place right now. There's your forecast, everyone. Lots of sunshine, a chance of showers, but we continue with terrific conditions and these are well above seasonal by about two to four degrees. So right through until Mother's Day, we'll see that sunshine, but it's going to get hot on Friday. Perfect. Thank you very much, Christy. Nice little Mother's Day icon there. Okay, right off the top, we want to assure everyone there will be no Game of Thrones spoilers in this next item. But everyone is talking about Sunday night's episode, and it has nothing to do with the plot. They left a coffee cup in the... <laughs> oh! <laughs> yeah, it looks like someone left a disposable coffee cup Oh, no. I have to say it again. In front of the character, Daenerys Targaryen. Nice. Well done. Fans, of course, wasting no time producing memes. Some putting their Photoshop skills to good use. Others imagining how the barista might have labeled her cup. One fan added, drinker of pumpkin spice to the end of her long list of titles. She's also the mother of dragons, right? Yeah. That's correct. <laughs> and others saying it's not Starbucks at all, but Winterfell coffee. And finally, when you want to be the ruler of the Seven Kingdoms, but all anyone wants to talk about is the Starbucks cup you left on the table. Did you notice it? You watch it a lot, don't you? I, I'm... You I didn't yeah. watch it last oh, okay. night. Yeah. I'm going oh, to tonight. Well. Looking forward to it, but uh, I'm going to look for that now. The coffee cup. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I now know how to say her name. Daenerys Targaryen. <laughs> you nailed it. Or Khaleesi. Was that product Khaleesi. placement? Khaleesi. Is oh, that's her name also? Yeah, it's another... Uh, it's, yes. She's got many She's names. also called that. Game of Thrones <laughs> is Peter Dinklage right a good guy or a bad guy? Sorry? P Peter Dinklage? Is he a good guy or a bad guy? 
I don't know. I don't know who that he's is. The, he's, he's the he's the little the... one, little little person. Oh, he's a good guy. Okay, that's all I needed to know. Okay. There you go. Now I'm caught up. Uh, okay. Hi. Hi. How you doing? <laughs> good. Thanks. Good. So clearly, I don't watch Game of Thrones. Neither do I. <laughs> Valerian Steel. I know that's good. Uh, what makes? Is that right? I don't know what that is. Okay. <laughs> Forget it. Squires back with sports. Yes. Games three, four, and five in Langley Western Hockey League Championship Series. The Giants did what they had to do in the uh, first two games. They won Game One, so they won at least one in Prince Albert. As we said, the next three are in Langley. And um, if the Giants can win all three of their home games, they're the Western Hockey League champions. If they don't, they will maybe need a game six or seven, and those two games would be in Prince Albert against a team coached by one of the best junior coaches there is, Mark Habscheid, who is well-known in B.C., Coach Kelowna to a Memorial Cup title, Coach Chilliwack, Coach Victoria, and with the Raiders, he's put together a powerhouse team despite not having a highly drafted NHL prospect in his lineup. When I, when I played way back in the Stone Ages, I was an offensive player. And then my, I first cut my teeth in a not a bad offensive team in Edmonton. And that's the style that comes naturally to me. I love that style. So history repeats itself sometimes. He comes away with the puck. He's got Hanoon out front. He scores! Mark Habscheid is a big fan of his team filling the opposition net full of pucks. His Prince Albert Raiders racked up an astonishing 307 goals in the regular season. No other Western Hockey League team came close to that total. So when it comes to playing up-tempo hockey, Habscheid's playbook is go, go, go. You know, with Mark, he's such a great guy, and uh, I guess you could say he's kind of the player's coach. Yeah, obviously we got structure put in place, but, you know, he, he's also a guy who can let us go out there and do our thing, and he trusts us and we trust him, so it's a, it's a two-way street, and uh, that's kind of how our, our relationship is. In his 14-year Western Hockey League coaching career, Habscheid's posted 30 or more victories 11 times. He's also mixed in five seasons of 40-plus wins. But winning today is different than winning yesteryear. Today's game and player is fast and highly skilled, except now your success is dependent on how you deliver your message slash game plan. And Hapshide's a perfect example of a coach adapting to the times. I mean, going back into the olden days, I guess you could say, uh, it was kind of Marshall's Law, and uh, if you didn't follow that, then there was a uh, punishment coming. But, I mean, with Mark... The door's always open. They're smart. They they want to be involved in the process. They really do. They want to know what's going on. They want to understand what's going on and, and be a part of it. Everything changes. Everything revolves. It's better. You find different ways to do the same thing. And You can't just stay or get left behind. You have to find new ways, different ways to accomplish the same thing. Just like Tiger Woods did. Uh, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom today. Looks like he's being consoled by Donald Trump there. Uh, becoming the fourth golfer ever to get it. The others are Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, and Charlie Sifford, who was the first African-American to ever play in the PGA Tour. This honor, of course, comes in the wake of Tiger's great comeback from injuries to win the Masters. I've, I've battled. I've, I've, tried to, I've tried to hang in there, and I've tried to come back and... and um, Play, play the great game of golf again. And the, the amazing Masters experience that I just had a few weeks ago, um, certainly is part of the highlight of what I've, what I've accomplished so far in my life. 
Brooks Kepka and Bubba Watson have both confirmed they'll be at this year's Canadian Open in Hamilton. They'll join Rory McIlroy and Dustin Johnson, who have also RSVP'd, making this a big-time event with three of the top four in the world rankings showing up, although... I think it's unlikely Tiger Woods will come. You never know, but not likely. The uh, big names are showing up in many ways because the event's now in June, a week before the U.S. Open, rather than in July when it was right after the British Open. Okay, back to hockey. Bruins jackets, Tuka Rask has suddenly become unbeatable for Boston. It's game six. Columbus has to win to keep this going. Second period. DeBrusque, post, David Krejci, net. one nothing. For the Bruins. And the way Rask is playing a first goal for Boston is absolutely deadly for the Columbus Blue Jackets. And John Tortorella knows it. But then check this out. Right before the end of the second period, Charlie McAvoy. This is a two-minute penalty. Should have been five. But I think the referees are a bit freaked out by what happened between San Jose and Vegas. So they only call a two-minuter. Okay, another power play. They didn't score on that one. Off the bar, Zach Wierenski. Josh Anderson, who was the guy who got hit in the head, can't convert. Still 1-0. Then the Bruins the other way. Two on two, Marcus Johansson. That's in. It's Bobrovsky. His armor is down. Shields are down. And one more for the Bruins. David Backus. So Boston is off to the next round, where they will take on the surprising Carolina Hurricanes. Leicester City, Man City. That's Victor Company, and watch what he does today for Man City. You think he might pass? Nope. He just scores a brilliant goal instead. And this is a big win for Man City. They stay on top of the tables, just ahead of Liverpool. Each have one game to go. That is magical. And here's what you don't want to see if you're going to a game. It's being delayed by bees. What do you think? So cameramen are waving towels, players are sitting quietly, and this guy's chasing him around. You think the batting helmet's going to help? I don't think so. Then, there they are, the bees right there. And then eventually these two guys who have no fear, they're in short sleeve shirts and just a shirt, they scoop all the bees and give it to some guy from Amazon and they ship them somewhere. Amazing. Uh, We'll talk more about the Kentucky Derby after the break, updating you on the latest in the appeal from the owners of Maximum Security, who, of course, finished first, but was disqualified to 17th place. I have to say, if what he did happened in any other race, he would have been disqualified without question. But because it was the Kentucky Derby and there's 19 horses, there are people in racing, not everyone, but there are people in racing who feel the foul perhaps should have been overlooked. It wasn't, and we'll hear more shortly. Yeah, we sure will. Okay. Thanks, Squire. Thank you, Squire. Let's check in with Jay Durant for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thanks very much, Sophie. Voters in Nanaimo Ladysmith are choosing a new member of Parliament in a contest that could be an important indicator ahead of the fall election. We'll have full results for you. Plus, a suspect has been charged in a horrific attack on a good Samaritan in Penticton. The victim remains in hospital with a severe head injury after he was badly beaten when he tried to intervene in an assault at a beach party Friday night. We'll have those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11. Okay, remember a couple of years ago, the Oscars announced the wrong Best Picture winner. And and today, the horse racing industry is dealing with a kind of similar version of that. I don't remember the Oscar winner getting cu- cutting off the Oscar loser, though. <laughs> no, it wasn't exactly an elbow. It, was, it wasn't quite like that. Um, 
as I said, it's, it's not something you normally see in the Kentucky Derby, but quite frankly, it was a foul, but the owners mm-hmm. are crying foul over this. Let's take a look. Line, maximum security wins the Kentucky Derby! It's never happened at the Kentucky Derby until the 145th running this weekend. Right there is where number seven, maximum security, came out a lane or two. The apparent winner disqualified for an in-race foul in the turn for home. We were stunned, shocked, and in total and complete disbelief. It had never been done before. The owner of maximum security appealed the call to the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission, but tonight his request denied. The rule stating all race decisions made by stewards at the track are deemed final. With 20 horses on a track that's made for 14 horses, there's a lot of pushing and shoving and they bump into each other and that's just that's just part of the Kentucky Derby. Reaction to the disqualification, swift and vocal. The seven-figure winner's check going instead to owners of second place Country House. We unanimously determined to disqualify number seven. Kentucky's chief steward made a brief statement after the race, taking no questions. Gary West says he will not run maximum security at the Preakness in 12 days, given that his horse cannot win the Triple Crown, but added the horse racing world is watching to see how Saturday's drama here is ultimately resolved. See the replay again. Yeah, see, th- th- that was stupid that the stewards came down and didn't take questions, because the automatic question would be, okay, two riders claim foul against maximum security's rider, but... The stewards, who can also say, wait a minute, we've got to look at this again. We're going to put up an inquiry. They didn't do it. Mm-hmm. So they watched the race and thought it was fine. So that would have been the obvious question. Why did you think it was okay? And then the two riders said, hey, check into this. And they did. It took 20 minutes, and they made the decision. Right. They should have answered questions. But usually in these cases, the stewards' decision is final. That's it. And that's, mm-hmm. So now they may go to a higher court, I guess. I don't know. I guess, yeah. We'll see, Possible. How, it, see how it plays out. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Trump? Last word before we go. Sure, it's going to get increasingly warmer in the coming days with Friday likely being the warmest and potentially record-breaking. Okay, tune in at 8.30 on BC1 for live coverage of the Nanaimo Ladysmith by-election. We have results, we have analysis, we have full team coverage. You'll be informed and entertained. (laughs) 